Six free non-tech ways to podcast better. Thank you for joining me for The Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from theaudacitytopodcast.com. Presentation is one of the, what I call, five cornerstones of a great podcast. All five of those cornerstones are content, presentation, production, promotion, and profit. And how you communicate in your podcast can make the biggest difference in whether people enjoy and benefit from your content, or they move on by or abandon it later. So here are six free and non-technological ways to improve your podcast by communicating better. So if you want to follow along, tap or swipe inside of your app to get to the episode notes, or go to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash communicate better. Podcasting is about communication, and we can become better podcasters by communicating better. So these are six ways that don't involve technology. Well, one of them kind of does, but don't involve changing your technology, and they're completely free to do. This will help you communicate better in your podcast and even in life. So here they are. Number one, listen to yourself. This is the slightly technological one because you have to be able to listen to your own recording. And do you listen to your own podcast after it's published? I suggest waiting at least a couple of days and then listen like you listen to any other podcasts, including the same kind of speed adjustments, like whether you listen at 2x, 2.5x, 1x, slower than 1x. And if you use any kind of smart speed or anything like that, use the same kind of headphones or earbuds or speakers or however you're listening to podcasts and listen in the same environments that you listen in other places too, whether that's in the car, doing dishes, mowing the yard, out and about, walking, driving, whatever. Listen like your audience does. Listen like you as an audience member do listen to other podcasts. And I think this will help you to listen like the rest of your audience, to hear your podcast and receive and try to understand your podcast like the rest of your audience. Plus, it can help you notice things that may be distractions that you can work on avoiding or editing out. For example, you might notice how much you or your co-hosts interrupt each other or maybe laugh over each other or behind each other. You might hear how often you don't complete your thoughts. You might hear words or phrases you say way too much. You might hear that background is an issue that you didn't think was an issue, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the background noise is not an issue that you thought was an issue, like the airplane flying overhead, the car driving by outside, the dog barking, the leaf blower next door, any of that. Maybe it's not actually an issue when you thought it was, or maybe it is when you thought it wasn't. And if you have guests or co-hosts Try to focus really first on yourself. Just like they say on the airplane, put your own oxygen mask on before you assist anyone else. Focus on yourself and how you can improve before trying to help others improve. Plus, this makes it a little easier to share those things with the other people on your podcast. If they're regulars on your podcast, that is, you could say, Yeah, I've been working on this thing for myself. And I thought I'd share it with you in case you notice it yourself that you might say this thing or do this thing. And, or maybe this would help if you try this too. Or I've noticed while I've been working on myself, I've noticed that you do this thing too. And are you interested in working on this together with me? So never make it like, oh, you're a horrible podcaster and I see all of these problems with you. Focus on yourself first. Listen to yourself. 
That's number one. Number two, learn from all feedback. I know we love the positive feedback, the tweets praising our podcast, the five-star ratings and reviews, the feedback telling us how much our audiences love our podcast. It just makes us feel so great and confirms what we're doing is impactful or it's fun or whatever. But we also receive some negative feedback. And we need to learn from both kinds of feedback. You don't have to change your show for the people who already left your show. Like those one-star reviews that say things like, I'm quitting this podcast because such and such. Well, you don't have to change the show for them because they already stopped listening. Now, you might want to look at the feedback and consider whether you need to change something for the rest of your audience. But whatever you do, try to learn from every bit of feedback you receive. You might hear something from a tiny portion of your audience and not the rest of your audience, and you need to balance certain things as well as deciding, is this even the kind of podcast you want to host? Like if someone says, oh, they go way too in-depth, which actually one of the reviews that I will reference later in this episode, that was one of their critiques as they said, this podcast goes way too in-depth about one of my other podcasts. And I thought, well, yeah. We market ourselves as a podcast that goes in-depth. So if you think we go too in-depth, we're obviously not the podcast for you, and that's fine. We wanted to continue going in-depth, and the rest of our audience loved us because we go in-depth. So when you're looking at all of your feedback, you can learn what you're doing well and should continue or increase. You can learn what you're doing poorly and should cut or maybe seek to improve. And you can learn what kind of stuff isn't making a difference at all. What is no one saying anything about? It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It also doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Maybe most of your audience is indifferent. You could experiment with things, or you could ask your audience. Learn from all the feedback you receive. Number three, become more curious. I generally hate the phrase, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I hate that phrase because I think that attitude stifles invention and innovation. I think the core characteristic behind making great things is a sense of curiosity. This isn't only for interview-based podcasts, by the way. You can be curious even as a solo podcaster. You can be more curious about your niche, more curious about communication techniques, more curious about new tools that can improve your podcast, engage your audience, or grow your influence. And it all starts with curiosity. Yes, curiosity sometimes leads to more expenses, like you discover, oh, this other tool can do this thing so much better than the tool I've been using or so much faster. But it doesn't always have to lead to other expenses. Sometimes curiosity can save you money. Take my previous episode, for example, where I talked about how audacity is improving fast and certain reasons why I think you should give it a try. I've already heard from several podcasters and even professional podcast editors who are now curious about trying Audacity again and possibly saving hundreds of dollars every year because of switching from some other application that they're using and paying for regularly that they could maybe switch to Audacity and get just as good of quality, but with the free program, saving them some money. Curiosity can also lead you outside your comfort zone especially talking to or listening to people you might not have otherwise considered. For example, I like to sometimes ask for recommendations for a particular kind of podcast, 
and then I try some of them. And that curiosity has led me to some gold mines in education, inspiration, and entertainment. And at conferences too, I've seen people that seem to be a little bit standoffish. Maybe no one's talking to them. So I'm curious. Hmm, I wonder what podcasts they host. I wonder what they're into. I wonder what they're coming to this conference for. And maybe they're looking for someone, a kind of person or a kind of podcaster. Maybe I can connect them. If I know them, maybe I can just get to know them a little better and get to know other people in my industry. And I, being someone who seeks to serve other podcasters, if I go to a podcasting conference, yes, everyone is a potential customer, but I don't look at them like that. I look at them as a potential friend, a potential collaborator in this podcasting industry. And that kind of stuff starts with curiosity. So I highly recommend that you become more curious. Number four, expand your vocabulary, but not too much. Think about how you describe things. Now, I want to reminisce about something from my childhood for a moment. I grew up listening to a children's audio drama series called Adventures in Odyssey. It had a character in it named Eugene Meltzner, who was originally voiced by Will Ryan, who I only just recently learned that he died in November 2021. And he was one of my favorite characters, and I think you'll be able to guess why. Because he was geeky, he loved science and computers, and he often spoke with big, incomprehensible words. And I enjoyed that. There was even a time in my teenage life I even tried to talk like Eugene sometimes. I went through this little phase where I tried to learn these really big, complicated, confusing words that sounded so official and so big and incomprehensible, and I would form sentences with these big words. It was just kind of fun to do because this was a character that I kind of idolized as a kid. Now, you don't need to talk like Eugene. You don't need to try to be like I was as a kid. And actually, you probably shouldn't unless that's how the majority of your audience speaks. If you're hosting a science podcast and it's for other scientists, then they're going to expect you to use scientific terms. And there are plenty of podcasts out there like that. But if you're hosting a science podcast for kids or a science podcast for the layman, then you would want to not dumb things down because you're not dumbing things down. You're simplifying your explanations of things using smaller words or simpler words, more common words. You really have to find that balance between using a larger variety of words and maintaining comprehension. But that is very easy to do. And I just used one of those words that you could easily replace. Consider simply the word very. There are a lot of other words that you could use instead of it. And I've linked to three different articles in the episode notes for this episode at the audacity to podcast.com slash communicate better. These articles will list other words that you can use instead of very. And these don't have to be extremely complicated words. They can be common words, but they're just better and more flavorful than saying very. For example, some general synonyms instead of saying very, you could say amazingly, awfully, enormously, exceedingly, exceptionally, immensely, majorly, overly, supremely, vastly, tremendously, terrifically. These aren't big, incomprehensible words, but they are more interesting than the word very. And some of these have other terms like Instead of saying very big or very large, how about instead you say colossal, enormous, huge, humongous, gigantic, massive. See, these kinds of words and others like them in replacing 
simple words that we group together like newspeak from 1984, when we replace these with other words, not only does it sound better and present more variety in our communication, it still maintains understandability, but they often describe things more than just very something. And they might even invoke deeper feelings. Like just the way that I said humongous, just saying the word feels big to me. Humongous. That sounds so much bigger than saying very big. It's like adding color to a picture or seasonings to a meal when you can expand your vocabulary, but not too much. You're still using comprehensible words. So try expanding your own vocabulary with replacing the word very or really. And after that, you could try other words or phrases that might not necessarily be bad, but could maybe be communicated better or with more variety. For example, when you're putting something in writing, you can start to see certain patterns, especially if you write very similarly to how you talk. You can notice that maybe you have started multiple sentences with the same word, but, but this, but that, but this, but that. Sometimes you might want to consider rewriting so you're not using the word but at all. Sometimes you might want to say however instead of but or although and then you build out your sentence a little bit differently. You're communicating the same thing but with a little bit more variety. And that's not to say that the word but is horrible. Sometimes you just need to add some variety to that. So consider expanding your vocabulary not too much. Number five, improve your grammar and pronunciation. Oh, my parents made me take some speech therapy when I was a kid, and I hated it. Oh, I hated it so much. But now, I wish I had worked harder at it. Because some of the things my teacher was trying to help me pronounce better, I still struggle with pronouncing. And then since being a teenager, there were two times I started to work on improving my grammar and pronunciation, and both were the direct response to negative feedback. So this goes back to that previous point of listen to all feedback, learn from all feedback. The first time was when someone critiqued one of my first public speeches, and he pointed out that I incorrectly said theirs, which is short for there is when I should have said there are in reference to multiple items. So instead of saying there's three ways to do this, I should say there are three ways to do that. That small critique launched me into years of trying to learn better grammar, eventually discovering Grammar Girl's quick and dirty tips to better writing, one of my favorite podcasts, and even becoming a managing editor for my previous employer, all from that one piece of feedback and realizing, hmm, there are some things I do that are not correct. And I'm not going to say that my grammar is perfect. I know I still make plenty of mistakes. Now, the second time is much more recent, and it came from a negative podcast review, the same one that mentioned this podcast is too in-depth for our in-depth podcast about a TV show. And our TV show was about a character, and this negative review also pointed out that to the listener's great annoyance, I was pronouncing the name Emma, E-M-M-A, as Emma, as if it was spelled I-M-M-A. That review was left in 2018, but I paid more attention to it a year or so later and realized then how many E's 
I pronounce more like eyes. For example, get, G-E-T, or enter, E-N-T-E-R, or them, T-H-E-M, and more. And I'm actually still trying to work on this. So if you go back and listen to this episode, you will hear some places, and compare this episode, by the way, to past episodes, you might notice that there are certain words that I now pronounce differently. And that's because I've been working on this, and I continue working on it, and I catch myself when I say something incorrectly. Sometimes I correct it in the podcast. Sometimes I just move on with it. Sometimes I might not catch it. So you don't have to take on the burden of pointing out to me whenever I get it wrong. And sometimes I'm just a little lazy and let it slip the old way because it hasn't completely ingrained itself in me as a habit. That's led me to realize there were more other words that I wasn't pronouncing quite correctly, or perhaps I should say consistently with my general Northern American accent, like pronouncing things, T-H-I-N-G-S, and think, T-H-I-N-K, more like things, not quite like with a Southern twang, but I was pronouncing it like there was an A in the middle instead of an I, and also think, I was often pronouncing like thank, like thank you. I think, well, they're my, I'm blowing up my brain right now, just trying to mispronounce, pronounce correctly in the same sentence. So I'm working on these things. And please understand, I am not condemning you if you pronounce things with a regional accent. These are inconsistencies in myself that I've concluded are incorrect for me and the way that I want to communicate. So if you have a Southern twang, and you say things or however many syllables you put in the middle, that is okay if that's the way you want to communicate and it's consistent with the rest of the way that you communicate. I remember actually growing up, uh, one of my parents is more Southern than the other. I grew up saying wash, like washcloth, but I would say Washington, D.C. So I wasn't consistent with even when I said wash. And then at some point, my mind exploded when I saw in writing the word washcloth and I realized, huh, there's no R there. I even remember a conversation with my older sister where we actually made sense or tried to make sense of this by saying, yeah, you wash things with a washcloth and that's why it's called a washcloth. And it just made total sense to me until I actually saw the word in writing and I realized there is no R in wash. Now, if you pronounce it wash, Washington, washcloth, all of that, and you're consistent with it, I'm not condemning you for that. This is about where you think you need to improve and be consistent in how you speak and communicate. And by the way, to make matters more complicated, if you're thinking about this for yourself and whether you're pronouncing certain words correctly, it's not always a universal thing. There are now many times where I accidentally overpronounce something or like in my mind, I'm often looking out for those I words to pronounce them as I's or the E's to pronounce as E's. And sometimes I accidentally pronounce something overcorrecting myself. And then it even gets more complicated with some words and certain vowels and certain words are sometimes supposed to sound like different vowels. For example, the O in women is supposed to sound like an I. That's the way, at least the American English dictionary that I use as my standard, the Merriam-Webster English dictionary. That's the way that it says it's supposed to be pronounced, is like an I, even though it's an O there. So that's just complicating things further. And it has me so often going to a dictionary to see, 
Like friend, how is friend actually supposed to be pronounced? Do you pronounce the I? Do you pronounce the E? Certain things like that that I end up questioning myself. But these are ways that I'm working on improving my communication so that I can be understood better. And by the way, some English dictionaries, even American English dictionaries, will even defer on how they pronounce things. For example, I forget which way it is for which dictionary, but dictionary.com and Merriam-Webster dictionary have a different pronunciation for the A in lav, like lavalier microphone. I think the way one of them was, it actually said you would pronounce lavalier, but if you abbreviated it to L-A-V, like lav mic, you would pronounce that as lav instead of lav mic. So it's lavalier, but lav mic. That kind of stuff, it's just like, come on, can't we be consistent, please, with letters in English? I know that this is completely separate from American versus British English, like niche versus niche. That's an American versus British thing. In case you're wondering, it's niche in American English and niche in British English. That kind of stuff too. The most important thing here is it might come down to style and what you use as your authority for pronunciation, for spelling, for grammar, and that kind of thing. But what I think is most important for you is to communicate consistently, to speak and pronounce things consistently in a way that your audience can understand you. Yes, even if they might get a little distracted by an accent at first, people can get used to accents. If you want to overcome your accent, then go ahead. I fully support your doing that. If you think your accent is fine and people do understand you and the accent isn't too heavy and you're not blatantly mispronouncing certain words, that's fine too. So I'm not saying you need to cut out your accent. You need to sound like a British person with a cup of tea in one hand and a biscuit in the other hand. Or maybe you want to sound like that. That's totally up to you. But I do suggest you look for ways to improve your grammar and pronunciation and this doesn't cost you a thing. You could hire speech coaches, or you could just listen to yourself and realize, is that actually the way that word is pronounced? Hmm. No, it isn't. I better start pronouncing it differently. That's number five. You can tell I'm a bit passionate about that one. Number six, conquer bad habits. You probably already knew this one was coming. Learn what your bad habits are in podcasting and work to overcome them. It could be crutch words or phrases like, um, like, yeah, no, you know, and more. It could also be strange ways that you phrase things or bland responses, like, that's a great question, after every question that someone asks you, or maybe after every response that someone gives you, you say, awesome, and then you move on to your next question. I can tend to do that myself, too. Or maybe you overly use certain figures of speech, like, at the end of the day, or what it all boils down to, or things like that. And I know that things like that is one of my things that I say a bit too much. I remember Emily Prokop also pointed out that I often say I highly recommend, but that's one that when I say it, I do actually highly recommend that. Just like when I say literally, I do mean it literally. I do mean that sentence to make total sense and saying that thing literally. There could also be other habits you have while podcasting like saying the same unnecessary phrases every time, in this episode, we're going to talk about this, or in this episode, in this episode, that kind of thing. Maybe it's something else that you say all the time. It could be that you loudly fidget with something while you're podcasting. And 
I'm not saying you have to stop fidgeting. Maybe you do. Maybe you want to work on breaking that habit. Maybe you don't like to be a fidgeter. Maybe you just find something that you can fidget with that's completely silent, like a plush toy, or you give that to your co-hosts if you notice that they fidget. It could be that you're regularly getting distracted while you host your podcast. Maybe it's a chat room. Maybe you're browsing the internet while your co-host is talking or your guest is talking. Or maybe you're making inappropriate compromises in other aspects of your podcast, allowing something, I'm not saying this from a moral perspective, but allowing certain things that just might not be good for your podcast, either like wasting time, allowing a guest to ramble on so long that they've lost the point of the conversation. It could be anything like that. So look for those bad habits so that you can conquer them. That's number six. So these six ways that are free and non-technological ways to podcast better by communicating better are number one, listen to yourself. Number two, learn from all feedback. Number three, become more curious. Number four, expand your vocabulary, but not too much. Number five, improve your grammar and pronunciation. And number six, conquer bad habits. For these six things that I've shared with you, and there could be many more too, so maybe there will be future episodes building on this list as well, and there might be other things that you think of, so you're welcome to comment on this episode as well. Before these things that I've shared, I think that life is the best place to train. Whatever things you decide to work on, by the way, have you noticed that I pronounce the word things differently now than I did a couple years ago? That's because I've been working on that. So anyway, whatever things you decide to work on, don't save your efforts for only when you're behind the microphone and only when you're podcasting. Train yourself on these things in your every day. This is what I've been working on. Every time I say the word thing, I intentionally, in my mind, try to say it thing instead of thing. And I catch myself often. I don't do something like have a rubber band on my wrist that I snap or a Pavlock clock or wristwatch thing that shocks me whenever I say it incorrectly. It's just something that I look out for and I practice it. I might not always correct myself when I say it, but I hear it. So then the next time I try to say it, I try to say it differently. I do the same thing when I'm reading books to my little boy is I see a certain word coming up. So I know that's one of my struggle words. I need to pronounce that one differently. Look for how you can improve yourself in these areas and whatever areas you know that you need to work on. Seek to improve yourself every day away from the podcast. It's like the question I sometimes see, how do I stop saying uh in my podcast? Well, you stop saying it on your podcast by stopping it in your life. That's how you stop saying it in your podcast. You remove it as a habit. You can also use your podcast as training grounds for you to improve these and other areas in the rest of your life. For example, maybe you learn ways to have more meaningful conversations with your husband or wife by training to ask better questions in an interview and listening better to the responses. In other words, use life to make you a better podcaster and use your podcast to make you better at life. If you'd like to review these notes or share this episode with anyone you think it would help, please visit theaudacitytopodcast.com slash communicate better. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go start and grow your own podcast for passion and profit. 
I'm Daniel J. Lewis from the Audacity to Podcast.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.